Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hi everyone, CJ here for another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. Uh, just letting you all know that um, our next backyard chicken keeping course will be running in June. I haven't finalised the exact date yet, but probably around the 12th of June at this stage, I think, or 10th, I can't remember. Um, anyway, today or this week, I want to speak to you about a plant-based diet versus a meat-based diet. And it's something that I think has been very prominent in the news of late, and I think it's worth touching base on. Uh, certainly from a farming perspective, um, even urban farming, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people are plant-based farmers, but there's a lot of people that are meat-based farmers as well. And I think what um, what kind of irritates me a lot, what I see in the media, is the whole uh, premise that meat-based uh, means unhealthy. And not only unhealthy for a person's body, but unhealthy for the environment. And that a plant-based um, diet promotes health not only for the person, but also for the planet. Uh, it was Earth Day yesterday, so happy Earth Day, everybody. I hope you went outside and did something nice um, and thanked the world for being itself. Um, yeah, so it's it's something that's really come to the front for me of late. Uh, so a little bit of a backstory there. I um, have had digestive issues for probably the last 10 to 15 years um, and those digestive issues, initially they thought I was a celiac, so we cut out gluten, that didn't seem to make any difference, I still had um, basically all the symptoms of IBS. Then um, after I'd had my second child, I lost shit tins of weight, like literally 30 kilos in about three months. Uh, which I needed to lose. I was very much overweight. I was uh, nearly 100 kilos in both pregnancies. Um, and I lost a lot of weight very quickly. And as a result of that, I basically stuffed my gallbladder. And the doctor said that in no uncertain terms. If you hadn't lost the weight so quickly, your gallbladder would have had time to adjust. Uh, so my gallbladder ended up full of sludge and I ended up having to have my gallbladder out. Uh, at the same time, they discovered I had a cyst on my pancreas, which is completely benign and not causing me any grief and certainly hasn't caused me any effect since. However, uh, those combination of things, I've now, every two years, have a camera put down into my stomach to have a look and see how things are tracking. And the doctors still say, I look like a celiac, but they've tested me and I'm not a celiac. So my lovely... Um, uh, gastroenterologist, I can't even say it, gastroenterologist, can't say it, um, he has said to me that he believes that I am what's considered to be a true um, gluten intolerant. Um, so I really don't like gluten. That being said, I love bread. <laughs> I love scones. I love pasta. I mean, let's face it, you know, we're we're raised on it. We, Of course we love it. We get addicted to it. We, you know. Anyway, 
over the last couple of years, I've been trying to fix my stomach problems. And not with a lot of success. Um, I'm still having a lot of issues or was having a lot of issues. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of research myself because when I speak to doctors about it, I realise that doctors are given no education when it comes to um, nutrition. Um, they, Your basic GP does not get specialised training in nutrition. You would have to go to a nutritionist to get that. And so then I started looking at where the nutritionists get their education from. Sorry, just having a slurp of water. Um, and I discovered that they get most of their information from the dietary guidelines of Australia and in the US from the dietary um, guideline association in the US. So then I started digging a bit deeper and I found that there was a whole bunch of doctors that are promoting um, a keto-based diet or a low-carbohydrate diet. Um, and in some cases, they refer to it as low-carbohydrate, high-fat. And in some cases, they refer to it as low-carbohydrate, healthy fat. But they were very much in the camp of grains and cereals are not the best thing for our body, particularly if we're trying to fix digestive issues, but also for other issues. Um, so diabetics, obviously, have issues with the amount of carbohydrates that they consume. And uh, despite the dietary guidelines having grains and cereals at the bottom of the food pyramid still. Um, I think that most people are now of a very clear understanding that a high carbohydrate diet is not the best thing for diabetics um, and that it certainly causes them more issues than it, than it prevents. Uh, but there, there's been some studies that have been going into, um, and it, it, the studies were done 100 years ago, but they're starting to come back to the forefront in regards to epilepsy, uh, particularly in children, um, and a high-fat diet. Uh, I've also just recently read some articles, and I will, for once, because I know I don't normally, I will actually post show notes for this one, because there's a whole bunch of links that describe all this stuff way, way better than I could ever describe it. Um, but there is a, um, a doctor who has uh, done some studies into uh, ADHD and autism, uh, which encompasses also OCD and Tourette's in children. And uh, the change of that child's diet, in one particular, there was a couple of children he listed, but there was one in particular who was quite, had quite significant Tourette's um, and uh, a change from a, to a low-carbohydrate, healthy-fat diet. I'll call it healthy-fat. I, I prefer that term. It doesn't have to be high-fat. It has to be good-quality fats. Um, the change in the diet for him literally... Um, reduced all of his symptoms to the point where he could go to school and be a normal little boy, which I think is awesome. And and let's face it, if it's literally a change in diet to, to get to that point, really, <laughs> I'm all for that. Like whatever's easiest, whatever's going to work best for that kid, that's what I'm going with. Um, certainly um, my children don't have autism or ADHD. I was diagnosed with ADD as a child. Um, and I still believe that I have that as an adult, but I have managed to um, learn how to um, cope with my distractions <laughs> and manage to bring myself back on track. Um, but I was interested to see if changing my diet significantly would 
not only improve my digestive issues, but also uh, bring my ADD back into line where it was a lot more manageable. Um, I also wanted to see if it would help. My son sometimes has problems concentrating, which could be a little touch of ADHD uh, or ADD, depending on how you want to call it. Um, he's been tested for autism. Um, they were a bit concerned, but it turns out that he just has a, a ragingly high IQ, the lucky bugger. He doesn't get it from me. Um, and because of that, he gets bored very easily in class. So his inability to concentrate uh, comes out at those times. So I've been looking at changing my family's diet over. So I did some research because I wanted to really go into it with the best amount of information that I could. If I'm responsible for feeding my children, then, you know, I want to know what I'm doing. So I, I love history. So I did a little bit of research and certainly humans started out as hunter gatherers. Uh, I don't think anybody will dispute that. That's how we started out. And then after the Mesolithic era, we went into the Neolithic era where we started farming. But the farming that we did was domestication of animals. So we were predominantly still a hunter-style lifestyle. So mostly carnivore with some nuts, berries and, and other things thrown in. And it wasn't until uh, the Bronze Age, so around that um, 2200 BC to 800 BC, that we started doing crops. And the crops that we did then obviously were very different to the crops that we have now. I mean, I've heard stories um, of broccoli technically being poisonous to us if we'd eaten it, you know, a thousand years ago. What we have subsequently bred out of that plant is the majority of toxins so that we can consume it. Uh, but then we went on to uh, the Iron Age where wine was introduced. Yay for the Iron Age. I love my glass of wine. Although, again, it's probably something that doesn't agree with me. Uh, and then the Romans started more exotic foods where they were bringing foods because they encompassed such a large area. They were bringing foods from different areas. And the Middle Ages, I hate you. The Middle Ages is where sugar was developed and refined and sugar started being incorporated into our diet. So that was around the 400 to 1485 AD. Uh, then... It wasn't until the Tudor period that we started eating potatoes and rice. Uh, now, obviously, this is in an um, uh, English-speaking ba background. Um, Chinese, Japanese, Asian countries were probably eating rice a long time before us, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of what my genetic makeup is. Um, the Stuart period was when things started being introduced that were a little bit different, like oranges. That was the first real consumption of oranges. And tea and coffee. God bless you, Stuarts, because without the tea and coffee, I would be screwed. I live on my coffee every morning and I like a cup of tea of an afternoon. Uh, and then from the 1700s onwards, that's when we started having our more food that we see today. So broccoli, tomatoes, chocolate was incorporated into our diet. And... It wasn't really until around the mid-1700s that veganism and vegetarianism started being a thought process for people. Now, that was primarily brought around by religious groups, um, not health. It had nothing to do with health back then. Well, maybe a little bit to do with health because the reason the religious groups were so interested in having a plant-based diet was uh, the temperance movement. Now, if you haven't heard of the temperance movement, they were people who believed that uh, humans could be calmer and less violent 
and um, it was it was an act of physical austerity to to reduce certain foods and certain intakes. Um, and, and one of the reasons that they abstained was to prevent masturbation, which I hate to break it to them. Well, I'm hoping vegans and vegetarians don't feel the need to prevent themselves from doing that. It's their body and they can do whatever they like to it. Uh, but, yeah, it was primarily um, a temperance thing, so uh, preventing you from being violent, aggressive, loud, masturbating, having sexual urges or mental urges that were not, you know, deemed to be in line with their religious beliefs. Um, and one of the main pushes, which really didn't come through until the mid-1800s, was um, a woman by the name of Ellen G. White, who was one of the four, I think, founding mother-fathers of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist movement isn't considered to be huge, but when you look at how much uh, they own and how much education they put forward, uh, they are actually, I think, the second biggest behind the Catholic Church on education. Um, anyway, they she, she was not a vegetarian or vegan herself. She enjoyed meat. Um, however, she had a series of visions, and those visions told her that... Uh, by God, that she um, should encourage people not to partake of the flesh or milk of animals um, and that consuming the flesh and milk of animals was as bad, if not worse, than tobacco or alcohol. Um, so Seventh-day Adventists um, primarily avoid, abstain from, alcohol, tobacco, meat and milk and eggs. Uh, and as such, they are also the founding... Um, found a group behind um, the sanitarium food group and also Kellogg's was started by Seventh-day Adventists. I didn't know that. I knew about the sanitarium thing because sanitarium is quite prominent here in Australia. Um, but, yeah, they started in the US and and they pushed the vegetarianism. Um, or It would have been veganism then, but it didn't have that name at that point in time because they, they promoted no drinking of milk. So the only other groups that I kind of could find information about was obviously Buddhists, uh, and I have been lucky enough to travel through some Buddhist countries, um, including Tibet and Nepal. Um, I also have an older brother who's married to a Buddhist and converted to Buddhism himself. Now, the Buddhists, um, their, their scripture and what they put out is that they promote non-violence towards living things. So they will not kill an animal for the consumption of that animal. However, I can very much confirm, having travelled through those countries, uh, that if meat is presented to a Buddhist and the meat hasn't been killed for the Buddhist but has been killed separately and they've just been offered the meat, they absolutely eat meat. Um, they're, they're not vegetarian when you are offering them a bowl of yak stew. They will eat it just the same as the rest of us. Um, Hindus are vegetarian. Um, and certainly they um, consider the cow to be sacred, so they do not consume beef. Uh, but they do consume milk, so vegetarian but not vegan in their case. Um, they also will avoid certain vegetables that are grown in the ground, so root vegetables, if they have to kill the plant in order to um, consume it, so potatoes, carrots, onions, garlic, they won't consume those. I didn't know that. I only found that out doing this research. So when when did we go to a plant-based diet? 
well, technically in the mid-1800s, it became more prominent. Um, and then towards the early 1900s, it became a lot more prominent. Now, the funny bit about that was it started off as the temperance movement. Everything I can find about it is that when the temperance movement kind of dwindled and people were less concerned with religion, which, you know, over time that's happened. And I should say, I am not a religious person. My children have both gone to a Catholic school because it was the best school in the area at the time. Um, I'm not anti-religion by any stretch, but I'm not a religious person myself. I do believe in Mother Nature. I do believe that we have a, an entity that looks after us. I just don't know what that entity is. I think the term is agnostic would be a good description for me. Uh, I don't necessarily don't believe there's something out there, but I'm not sure what it is. Anyway. So when religion dwined a bit and, and people weren't so interested in it, then they started pushing, the, um, the Seventh-day Adventists started pushing the healthy perspective, that it was more healthy to go uh, to a plant-based diet and to avoid the flesh of meat and milk of, meat, of animals. rather. Um, and then that really didn't, didn't strike well. And the reason it didn't strike well is because in the 1920s, some doctors were doing some um, some studies and some tests on children who had type 1 diabetes now in the 1920s if you had type 1 diabetes it was a death sentence you would literally uh, waste away and there was nothing they could do and these doctors were trying to find ways to help children who were born with type 1 diabetes and they um, stumbled across the fact that when they were fed high fats low carbohydrates their body responded better to any other treatments so they started what was the keto diet and the keto diet was that push of very low carbohydrates very high fats um, in fact i think with a lot of the type 1 diabetic children back then they were no carbohydrates it was zero um, they also discovered that it had an effect on children that had epilepsy that weren't responding to other treatments for epilepsy so that's where the keto diet presented itself around that time and that was from doctors doing tests and seeing what worked for children and what didn't work for children and they discovered the high fat diet was working so they were using that in order to prevent these children from dying from diabetes or epilepsy now around i think it was around 1944 um a push came through and i can't work out where this guy came from but a push came through from a, a gentleman in England who promoted the ethical treatment of animals and he pushed the whole vegan thing where no milk no eggs you know no cheese nothing to do with animals um, which I always find veganism a little bit odd and I'm sorry if you're vegan I'm not vegan I, I've tried vegetarianism it didn't suit me that was back in my teenage years uh, but I certainly would never be able to eat vegan I love cheese I love milk I love cream I'm, I love meat. Who am I kidding? Fish, chicken, ruminant meat. I don't care. I'll eat deer, rabbits, whatever. I'm, I'll eat any kind of meat. Not real big on the organ meat, but I'm learning to. I can certainly handle liver. Kidneys, not my favourite. I've eaten brain. I grew up in a household where we ate whatever we were given and, and we ate nose to tail. So, yeah, we had to eat tripe and kidney and liver and brains and tongues and, yeah, all the rest of it. Uh, but I, I tend to shy away from the offily things these days. Um, but um, it always surprises me with vegans that they say that they won't 
um, consume animal products, but then they walk around with shoes on and you know drive cars and talk on mobile phones. And so many products that we have today have an animal uh, product uh, basis, where there is something in that product. Yeah, and and I know that there's been a real big push with vegan cosmetics um, because it used to be that animal products were used in cosmetics. Um, but there's so many products that are still using animal products to make them and vegans will quite happily use them but they won't consume the animal, which kind of seems a bit wasteful to me. But anyway, anyway, so doctors, um, so we had this gentleman in 1944 saying uh, ethical treatment of animals, we're not going to eat them. His choice entirely, I have no problem with that. I think Russell Brand is a big one on um, he doesn't um, eat meat because he doesn't like the idea of eating an animal. That's fair enough. That's his choice. Um, but people say that it's healthier. So is it healthier? And why did we go towards such a heavy carbohydrate-based diet? Well, that's the interesting bit. So the more research that I did into it, the more I realised that it came down to who was paying for the research. Um, and, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm also fairly open-minded. So when I went back and had a look, I came across a couple of people who were putting out some really good information. Uh, one in particular is a doctor by the name of Dr. Gary Fecky and his wife, Belinda Fecky, and they have a webpage. I support Gary is the name of the webpage, and I've put the link in the show notes for that. Belinda Fecky can explain far better than I can the ins and outs of it, but the short version, if you're not inclined to go watch the YouTube clip that I've linked, um, is that um, back in America during the period where the Dietary Association were trying to work out, uh, and I should say that the McGovern report in 1977 in the US came about because a president, and I can't remember which one, but I'm going to go, I think it was Jimmy Carter, but uh, my, my president knowledge in the US is low. Um, went to an area of the US and while visiting, he noticed malnutritioned children and he couldn't understand how in the 1970s or late 60s, there were children starving in America because America is such a huge producer of food. How could these children possibly be starving? So he commissioned, I think he commissioned a report to be done as to why there was issues with people not having enough food in America. And the McGovern report went through and it came back with the um, belief or the initial study was that people were consuming less calories than they needed to output and therefore that's why they were starving. And, and that's probably true. I'm not going to argue with that. I think that's 100% true that they were consuming less calories than they should have been. But the reasoning behind why they were consuming less calories was never, I, I can't find anything where anybody kind of went, well, why are they consuming less calories? It was just, well, what can we do to fix it? Nobody asked the question why it started. I think why it started is probably that the cost of living was going up and if people were living on the poverty line and anybody that's been really truly broke will understand that you end up buying the cheapest food you can. <laughs> uh, so were they... Having good quality meat, vegetables, uh, good quality carbohydrates, were they 
consuming a balanced diet? No, probably not. They were probably subsiding like people did during the Great Wars and the Depression on um, cabbage stew (laughs) and not much else, you know, bone broth, things like that. They probably weren't consuming all the things that you need to consume, especially for an active child, um, in order to have enough weight on them. But the McGovern report went through and they did some things and they actually came back and said, um, we need to eat more. We need to give these kids more food. And the cheapest, easiest way to give kids more food was to give them carbohydrates. And the interesting fact, and I, I as I say, um, Belinda Fecky can explain it much better in her YouTube talk than I ever could, um, but they just, they were being funded by certain uh, processed food companies. And it's now come out years later that they the reports they were absolutely bribed into making some of the decisions they made in their guidelines. But the people that were bribing them and the people that were sitting on these um, associations and the guideline groups were Seventh-day Adventists. They were people who themselves lived a vegetarian lifestyle, who worked for a processed food company, and they had a vested interest. Did they acknowledge they had a vested interest? No, it appears not. Um, so certainly the, the stuff that um, Dr. Gary Fecky, um, and, and just as a background to him, he is an orthopedic surgeon from Tasmania. He got sick of amputating diabetics' limbs. That's the guts of it. So he started questioning what he could do to stop himself being in a situation where that was the only choice for this patient was to have a limb amputated. And certainly he understood obesity and he understood that diabetics who are obese are more likely to have medical complications. So the obvious choice is get the diabetics to lose weight. If they lose weight, they don't have the medical complications that come with it. Now, he tells a little story, and if you go in and look at that video that I've linked, um, you'll see there's other links there to, to Gary Fecky. But on a podcast I was listening to, he told a story about how one of his patients who was due for scheduled to have a limb amputated, and I think he'd already amputated another limb off this gentleman, he went to visit him in hospital, and he's sitting in hospital eating ice cream. And the doctor was mortified and said, why are you eating ice cream? You're diabetic. You can't, you can't do that. Like, it's... That's not good for you. And he said, well, it's on the, on the menu at the hospital. So he went and spoke to the hospital, the, the, the kitchen, and said, no, this gentleman needs to be eating real food. He can't be eating ice cream. He's, he's diabetic. Uh, their response was, well, that's, that's what we have. That's, our, that's what we're told to feed them. So he tried to go further up the food chain, and he ended up, um, they were threatening to um, deregister him. And he was under investigation because he spoke out against the Australian dietary guidelines. Um, This is a doctor who's seeing all these patients coming in who are obese and having all these complications related to their obesity and their diabetes. And he's trying to fix it before these people lose limbs. And for that, he gets threatened with deregistration. It does my head in that this happened in the last yeah, 13 odd years in Australia. It's insane that a doctor trying to help patients could possibly be considered for deregistration. But again, it comes back to who's paying. So uh, it turns out that the Australian and the American dietary guidelines have both been um, 
funded, they've both been advised, they've both had their information and reports and studies coming in from people who are, one, attached to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and, and I'm not knocking Seventh-day Adventists. Please understand that I just it does my head in that, that a church is advising on dietary issues, even if they are educated and even if they are dietitians. Um, if they have a vested interest, surely that rings some alarm bells. Um, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church owned Sanitarium. They own it outright. Kellogg's is a private company, but Sanitarium is owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They don't pay taxes. Uh, they are a very large company worldwide and these people are funded by them so I, I don't know I'm just going to draw a line and a conclusion there that if your funding is coming from a company that produces processed foods would that explain why on the food pyramid the highest level the the biggest chunk of dietary um, preferences are coming from processed cereals just going to put that out there Anyway, so doctors around the world, it's not just Dr. Um, Gary Fetke, there's also a um, South African doctor, Tim Noakes, uh, there's a, I believe she's Dutch, um, and I can't find a lot of information on her, but Annika Dahlquist, um, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, um, are both doctors who've come under scrutiny for recommending to patients who are obese and have health complications to undertake a, a keto-style diet. Um, there's also a dietitian who was deregistered here in Australia, Jennifer Elliott, um, who um, used her basically used her, her daughter as a guinea pig because her daughter was having these issues. And when she started examining what was going wrong, because she's a dietitian, she had two other children, those two children are perfectly healthy, what's going wrong? When she started digging further into it, she realised that her this particular daughter needed to eat a keto diet. So she started pushing that for people who were struggling to lose weight, for people who were having hormone issues and insulin issues. And her daughter, some, I don't know, 10 plus years later, evidently has maintained the same weight all this time and is very healthy and happy and has no insulin issues, uh, which is a win-win. I mean, you know, if it works, why not do it? Anyway... I've, I've also looked down that food line and I've gone to the very extreme end at the other end where vegans admit, admit a whole food group of animal products. I have trialled a diet in the last couple of weeks that is the complete polar opposite of that and that is the carnivore diet. Now, I'm not sure that it's a diet I could stick with long term. I know there are people who absolutely stick with it long term and the health uh, benefits that they're reaping from that are insane. They're, they're eating an entirely animal-based uh, diet, so butter, eggs, milk, cream, meat. Um, and in most cases, some of these people are consuming no vegetable products at all, which is surprising. But they're surviving very, very well on these carnivore diets. And people say, oh, but the saturated fat. Take you back to the McGovern Report. The McGovern Report, which was funded by the big cereal companies, was the first push towards saturated fat being the devil and high-fat diets being the devil. And, and I know, because I grew up in that generation, where we were told, 
Low fat is everything. High fat's terrible for you. You'll have cholesterol, you'll have heart disease, you'll die of a heart attack. And it's now come out that those reports and those studies that were given to the McGovern report regarding high levels of saturated fat in your diet and the cause of cholesterol, uh, they now, they've now been shown to be complete fallacies. They're fucking bribed. They're bribed to say these things. And that was because the sugar and cereal companies wanted to push their cheap and readily available products. Now, now that we know that eating high saturated animal fats does not cause cholesterol and doesn't cause you to have a heart attack, when you go back now and look at the carnivore diet, you go, well, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I trialed it. So I I trialed it, I've trialed it twice and I'm about to start it again because I have fallen off the wagon because I am human. Uh, but the first time I trialed it for four weeks and I ate nothing but animal products uh, except for one exception, which was avocado. Um, I couldn't get the, the fat level at the percentage that they recommend uh, because of my no gallbladder. I had, it took a while for my stomach to adjust to eating um, huge amounts of butter, cream, and animal fats. So to try and up my percentage of fats, I included um, avocado. Now, I think I will probably end up settling on more of a ketovore-type diet where it is predominantly animal fats, but with vegetables thrown in. Um, certainly, avocado raises my fat content, which has been awesome. And, and can I just say, over the four weeks, I lost uh, nine kilos which was awesome because I am a little bit overweight at the moment. Uh, but my stomach problems completely ironed out. No pain in my stomach, no IBS. Um, I had much more clarity in the afternoon, so I wasn't finding that I needed that afternoon hit of coffee. Um, so my skin cleared up, my hair cleared up. Uh, I actually, and this is a weird thing, I, this is a big call to make, but I have grey hair. I don't dye my hair. I gave up dyeing my hair a long time ago. Um, while I was on the carnival diet, I swear I had more dark hairs growing through, little new hairs starting, uh, and I felt like my grey hairs were diminishing, not because they're changing, because they were still grey, but the other hairs growing through underneath them were coming through dark, which I haven't had in a long time. So, and I'm not, there's no, no evidence to that. It's that whole cause and causation and effect thing, but it definitely felt like that to me. Um, so I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try the animal fat diet again and see how I go because it certainly did help me. But I think that people need to really educate themselves on whether or not an animal-based diet or a plant-based diet is best for them. And, and certainly one of the doctors that I follow on Instagram, his name is Anthony, Dr. Anthony Chaffee. He's an American who now lives in Australia and he was a sports star he was a rugby player um, back in the US and he went while he was studying to be a doctor he learned about the toxins that are in plants and there's toxins in everything but there's quite a high level of toxins in plants and that's designed to keep the plant alive so that you don't want to eat it so it can go on to reproduce and make more plants uh, but certain plants have more toxins than others he had no idea about this when he learned this he went completely carnivore and he um, some of the, the um, facts that he can come up with regarding how his performance went in sports when he went to the full carnivore diet. I, 
I really think everybody has to kind of work out for themselves what's going to be best for them. He does say that when people go vegan, I think it's him that says it, um, they get they do get a bit of a, a health increase, a health boost, but that's because they're being very careful about what they're eating and they're reducing the amount of processed food that they're eating. So uh, I think that's that's something to keep in mind. There's also a podcast, and I haven't got it listed, but I will list it before I post this into the show notes, um, uh, Real Food with uh, Dr. Lucy and Dr. Mary, and they talk about um, a low-carbohydrate diet and how much it has improved their health, and they, they have – they're both doctors. They both have a long history of having health issues themselves that they needed to deal with. Um, so I'll post those in there as well because I would really encourage you to go and do some research on it. Uh, there's also a book that I'm currently listening to, which is The Great Plant-Based Con by Jane Buxton, and it's awesome. It's There's so much stuff in there that you just go, what the fuck, really? We've been sold a con. We've been sold a con about plant-based diets being better for us but also better for the planet and and I'm going to do this episode in two parts so next week I will talk about um, whether or not a plant-based diet is better for the planet because I'm beginning to think it's not it's like absolutely not Um, certainly the research that I'm doing and the the books that I'm reading I'm coming up to the conclusion that we've been sold another con Uh, we've been sold a con as far as our health and now we're being sold a con as far as the environment and it's pretty frustrating so what i want you to take away from this week is research things for yourself go and have a look read listen to other people Um, if you do want to eat vegan or vegetarian for religious reasons go right ahead nobody yeah that's that's absolutely on you uh, but if it's for health reasons, if it's because you have, um, you know, stomach issues, if you need to lose weight, if you've got skin issues, I honestly cannot speak highly enough of eating animal-based. Um, it's done such wonders for me. Certainly my daughter, who is at that 13-year-old acne stage, um, since we have transitioned, and unfortunately, all my family gets to eat when I eat because I'm not making two separate meals. Uh, they do get to eat a lot more veggies than I've been eating of late, uh, but a lot less carbohydrates coming into this household. And since then, my daughter's skin has cleared up. She comments that she feels better. Her skin feels better. Her hair feels better. Her nails feel better, which is awesome. Uh, my son has commented that his concentration levels are certainly um, evened right out. He's not having that that problem of struggling with trying to sit still and retain information. Um, and my partner, the handy helper, has managed to lose two clothes sizes. Uh, just and and can I just say he still drinks the dreaded Coca Cola. Fucking hate that stuff. And, and that's a whole nother kit and caboodle if you go down that rabbit warren of Coca-Cola funding exercise programs. Oh, give me a break, really? You're pumping sugar in one end and telling us to go exercise at the other. Uh, but he's lost two clothes sizes. Um, so he just bought a new pair of jeans yesterday and walked out and went, oh my God, these are two sizes smaller than what I would normally buy and they fit me perfectly. Uh, so my big push to you is to go do your research Listen to some podcasts that talk about keto, understand where they're coming from and why they want us to eat as nature intended, um, which was not processed foods, essentially, 
And and I'm not saying that cereals are all bad. I certainly think that that cereals can be very useful in our diet. We can do a lot with them. Um, but it's the quantities that we're eating in line with everything else that we're eating. And, I mean, if you want to look at it at the very, very base level and the very most basic level, I can tell you right now, feedlot cattle are fed and chickens are fed one particular thing in order to make them big and fat and healthy and great for eating, and that's their fed grains. Grain-fed chickens and beef grow fat. So if we're feeding that to animals to make them fat, why are we consuming it if we're trying to lose weight or be healthier? Um, anyway, next week I'm going to talk about whether or not the plant-based diet is really good for the environment. Because as a farmer, and I'll leave you with my one little saying that I absolutely love, which is without farmers we would all be hungry, naked and sober. And let's face it, even if you can live with the hungry and naked, you can't live with the sober. So without farmers, we have none of those things. And that's why I love doing what I do. And I hope that you do too. And I hope that you want to learn more about it. Anyway, I will talk to you all again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in the next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.